Long ago, whilst the majority of musical offerings were confined to their stereotypical patterns, the verse, chorus, verse, chorus, interlude, chorus, finish, a select few elite musicians were making patterns of their own. Removing the limitations of the mainstream conventions, these audio artisans were certainly making progress. If nothing else, they were progressive. In short, this is the lost art. Keeping your ears safe. You're welcome. M. M. H. Oh, it's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. When one Mellotron just isn't enough, call in the professionals. Progzilla, proving that prog isn't just for dinosaurs. Hi, this is Dave Cousins on The Lost Art. Stay tuned, it's the best show on radio today.
How's it going, you crazy people? Welcome once again to The Lost Art with me, Steve Gould, here on MMH, the home of rock radio and also Progzilla Radio. What a wet and windy week we've had. I hope that you've all been managed to stay safe and dry here in the UK. It's been mental. But we're not going to dwell too much on the weather this week because it's somewhat of a British obsession, is it not? Talking about the weather, it's always a fail-safe topic of conversation. If nothing else comes to mind, talk about the weather, because we've got a very interesting and varied weather pattern here in the UK. But you'll be pleased to know that's it. We're not going to go down that road for the rest of the show. We're going to dwell indeed on the music. And we kicked off there with Third Quadrant. And that particular track is called Dim and Distant Futures. I was given a promo CD when I was down at Summer's End a few weeks ago by Clive Mollett, one of the keyboard players in the band, who also plays keys in Monkey Trial. And they'll be opening our proceedings at Fusion 5 on March the 3rd. So you've got that to look forward to. But in the meantime, I hope you've enjoyed that rather wonderful track. Superb, absolutely superb. Third quadrant with dim and distant futures. Mm. Right, well, you may know, if you listen on a regular basis, that our current band of the month is Coliseum 2. And we've got another track from that particular band at this exact moment in time, and we'll be having our very last track from them next Sunday, which will be the 29th of October. So you've enjoyed five tracks from Coliseum 2 this month and the fact that you guys haven't proposed promoted suggested a track of your own then it's down to me to pick one and we're going to go back to that album strange new flesh for this next track and it's called the awakening and i thought we'd have a track with vocals because all the tracks we've had so far the past three weeks have all been instrumental so we're going to have one with vocals, and this track features a guy called Mike Stars, who performed vocals on this particular album, along with Gary Moore. Of the album Strange New Flesh, this is The Awakening. Fill my 
still while the city sleeps Numbing walls wrapped around their feet Creatures waking, they step that still Stealthily rising for a
faces of others Riding on the swings of life's playground But it's boring And the ground is bare Left without
is now the second largest search engine in the world with over 3 billion searches a month. So if your band doesn't have a music video or if your business doesn't have a professional intro, then you're missing out. At InLife, we have all the skills and equipment you need to make a stunning video and stand out from the crowd. From in-house green screens and post-production effects to on-site filming with high-grade cameras and all at an affordable price. Visit inlife.co.uk and get in touch today to see how we can shape your vision. Remember, video killed the radio star. Wait, what? Inlife.co.uk MMH, the home of rock radio. This is Progzilla. Before the break, the rather wonderful Coliseum 2 off the album Strange New Flesh, and that was The Awakening. It's been an absolute privilege to have that band with us as Band of the Month. One more week to go, and what can I say? I'll repeat what I've said in previous weeks. Send me your suggestions, recommendations, feedback, requests, dedications not just necessarily for what your favourite Coliseum 2 track is, but for anything, any new track, any old track, whatever. I'm open to suggestions, I really am. Because although I haven't got a problem putting a playlist together on a daily stroke weekly basis, it would be nice to have some suggestions from you. Lovely lot. It really would. Anyway, it occurred to me while that track was playing that... I did mention last week that we'd have a track from Third Quadrant later in the show. So that's why I put them on first, to make up for that, because it was last week's senior moment. I said we'd have a track, and we didn't. So I made up for it by putting them on first. So I hope you appreciate these sacrifices that I make for my mental instability. Oh, yes. Anyway, let's check out some new stuff, shall we? Osric Tentacles, two days ago, released their latest album, Lotus Unfolding. And I did play the title track a few weeks ago, because that's the only track I was allowed to play before the release of the album, which, like I say, was two days ago, October the 20th. It's called Lotus Unfolding, and the track I've got lined up for you today is Deep Blue Shade. Wonderful band. Enjoy.
the magnificent Osric Tentacles off their latest album, Lotus Unfolding, and that was Deep Blue Shade. And if you can, catch the band live. They're going out very, very soon on a double bill with Gong. What an incredible evening that will be. We saw it, I think it was last year. Totally lose track of time. They've been out before. They're going out again. What can I say? It's a magical evening indeed. You so need to go. Absolutely superb. Right, well, another new release now. Another new release. And it's from a guy I've not played before. But you may have come across him without realising. Because he's the guitarist with Dutch band Flamberhead. Who will be playing for us at Fusion 5 next year. Eddie Mulder is his name. He's the guitarist for that particular band. And on October the 16th, he released his latest solo album. It's called To The Centre. And the track I've got lined up for you today is Not So Easy.
All our radio shows can be found on demand. Download our app from Google Play or the Apple App Store. Just search MMH, the home of rock radio. You're tuned to Radio Progzilla, streaming across the net 24 hours a day. Radio Progzilla. Simply the best progressive rock radio. Well, you'll be able to catch Eddie Mulder live when he plays guitar for Flamborough Head at Fusion 5 next year. But for now, check out his solo album, To The Centre, which came out on October the 16th. And today we had Not So Easy. Hope you enjoyed that. Right, well, our old friends at Arena have just released a brand new live album came out two days ago on the 20th of October. It's called Lithian Tour MMXX22, and it was recorded on the Theory of Molecular Inheritance Tour across numerous different venues it was, and it features tracks from across their back catalogue. And I've decided to play you Bedlam Fair, which first saw the light of day on Pepper's Ghost, which at the time featured Rob Sowden on vocals, but now... Obviously, Damien Wilson is fronting the band, so what can I say? A very, very, very worthwhile replacement. An incredible vocalist and an amazing band.
greatest voices in prog at this moment in time. Damien Wilson fronting Arena there off their brand new live album Lithian Tour MMXX22 and that was the live version of Bedlam Fair which first saw the light of day on Pepper's Ghost. It did. Hope you enjoyed that. Well, if you recall last week we finished the show with a track from Herds off their brand new album, Falling Wide Awake. A track called Faith, which I think comes in at about 1 minute 40. And it was just to finish the show, just to round it off. And I thought, well, it's not really fair representing that album with a really short track. So by way of compensation, I thought, we'll have another track from the album. So I've decided to play the very first track of the album. Like I say, it's called Falling Wide Awake. This is Innsbruck.
formerly the Amber Heard, reimagined as Heard's off their brand new album Falling Wide Awake, and that was Innsbruck. Right. right, well, to take us to the end of this part of the show, we're going to have a track from UK based band Hex, H E K Z. Now, I think I've played these guys before, but it is somewhat of an international collaboration because the musicians on the band come from Spain, Ukraine, the Netherlands, America, and obviously the UK. And their brand new album, Terra Nova, comes out on November the 3rd. So you've got a couple of weeks to wait. But I've decided to play you the title track to basically ease you into the middle section. Because without going into too much detail, I believe Rita is back with us this week. So get your earmuffs, get your earplugs ready, because after the break... She'll be joining us for yet another middle section of raucousness. She will. But in the meantime, just to get you in the mood, this is Hex with Terra Nova. And I'll catch you, lovely lot, on the other side.
Join me, DJ Moshi, every Friday between the hours of 8pm and 10pm UK time for the Friday Rock Show, where I'll be playing you classic to current, all the dance floor fillers and ballroom killers. Just imagine your old school rock and metal disco, where you walk in and bang your head straight away to the great tracks. Go on, Mr. Johnson, what are we here for? For those about to rock, we say Hey up, good morning, how y'all doing? My name's Shutty, I'm the ex-Baldy Skin Basher of that there television band. The show that you're listening to now, this morning, is called Breakfast with Shutty. <laughs> it's a rock and roll extravaganza with a side order of metal. We're on Monday to Thursday, 7 until 9 in the morning. Only on MMH, the home of rock radio. Missed your favourite show? Then you're an idiot. Listen to the podcast at mmhradio.co.uk. Progzilla Radio, making progressive rock cooler than the other side of the pillow. This is Charlie Bramold from Ghost of the Machine, and you're listening to The Lost Art with Stephen Lou. Okay, guys, before the break, we finish the first part of the show with Hex off their brand new album, Terra Nova, and that comes out on November the 3rd, and today we had the title track. Leading very nicely into this part of the show, as I mentioned earlier. Because, believe it or not, your worst fears are about to be realised. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Rita is back. Oh, how are you? I'm all right, thank you. Yes, and uh, if you recall, guys, she fell over and broke her wrist. A few months ago. Well, it was nine weeks ago nine yesterday. Nine weeks ago yesterday. Mm. And yesterday was her first day back at work. Wasn't it, dear? It was indeed. How did it go? Very well. Everybody seemed pleased to see me back. I, I was glad to see the back of you. you yeah, you waved me <laughs> off, didn't you? <laughs> you waved me off. I did. Well, then went back to bed. <laughs> yes, because my alarm went off at five past five, then ten past five, and then I had to get up. Yeah. And the same today. Oh. So. But then I've got two days off, so. Yay. <laughs> anyway, let's get down to it. What have you got lined up for us this week? Well, if you're going to go raw, because you might as well kick off with the Kings Dream Theatre. And they've recently bought out another Not Forgotten Archives. I haven't got this one yet. This is the making of Scenes from a Memory. Now, Scenes from a Memory came out originally in 1999. And this is all, I think there's about three, I'm not sure, two vinyls. And it comes with all different versions of different tracks with demos, non-vocals. Outtakes. Outtakes when they were actually writing the materials quite interesting to listen to how the um, 
the music progresses. The track I've chosen is Home and this is the very first live run through of the first half. There you go.
I must admit, I'm not overly familiar with scenes from a memory. I know you are. And I'd imagine those of you out there who are familiar with Dream Theater are too. So, what can I say? Home. Very first live run through of the first half. Apparently. So, moving on, what have you got lined up next, love? What have you got lined up next? Blind Ego. And the album is Preaching to the Choir. And the track I've chosen is Massive. First track off the album. Wonderful stuff.
Blind Ego, a band that fall into a similar category as Rush, Enchant and Threshold. Not metal enough to be prog metal, and not prog enough to be prog. So then, proggy metal prog. I'm going to call a new genre, proggy metal prog. Oh, it's a bit <laughs> of a mouthful. And I think that leads us very nicely into the next track, doesn't it, Dora? Yes, this comes from Threshold. The album is Subsurface, which came out in 2012, would you believe? Wow. And this is one of my favourite tracks of theirs, The Art of Reason. And they absolutely blew the roof off at Summer's End very recently. Can you give me a reason why you're strong for a season?
Follow us on our social media, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Want airplay? Want your album reviewed? Get in touch. Just search MMH, the home of rock radio. This is Progzilla. Off their album Subsurface, Threshold with the Art of Reason, featuring Mac, dearly departed Mac, and we got to see that band. Was it a school hall? Yes. It was part of the Classic Rock Society, and it was in a, a school hall, I believe, and we were literally about two foot away from the band. It was quite weird, but very intimate. Mm. Seen that band a number of times. Superb. Right, what have we got lined up next, love? Gentle Giant. Ooh, she's going a bit off tangent. Yes, well, they uh, recently brought out a remaster of Interview. Don't we know? And this has been remastered by good old Stephen Wilson. That's a surprise. And Steve bought it for me for my birthday. I did. Now, the album originally came out in 1976. Jeez. But I am playing you the title track of the new version.
must admit that was a nice little oasis of non-raucousness <laughs> in a sea of raucousness. That's why I thought. I'll just put that little gem in. So you see, there is a God. <laughs> <laughs> right, what you got next, love? Rush. And this is off their first album, Rush. Working Man. Classic. 74.
we tailor all our advertising packages to suit your needs. With competitive rates, your advert can hit thousands of listeners. Just search MMH, the home of rock radio. MMH, the home of rock radio. You're listening to Live from Brogzilla Towers. Around the planet on the World Wide Web. Streaming 24-7. Internet radio. Before the break, you can't have an hour of raucousness without Rush, who very much fall into the proggy metal prog genre, along with Threshold, Blind Ego and Enchant. And we've already had two of them. Have you got an Enchant track lined up next? No, not this week. Okay. Maybe next week. Okay, so who you got lined up next? Avenge Sevenfold. Off their album that came out this year. Now, it has got prog elements. I know they're not a particularly prog band, but this album definitely Getting has good got... good write-ups. Yes. The album is called Life is But a Dream. This is one of my favourite tracks on the album. Nobody. <laughs>
from their latest album, Life is But a Dream, Avenged Sevenfold, and that was Nobody. Nobody loves me. Nobody. And I think now we're going more down the symphonic route, aren't we, dear? We are. The Dutch band Within Temptations album came out on Friday. And what I've heard of it, I like. Now, this came off the EP, but obviously on the album. The album is called Bleed Out, and the track I'm playing you is Wireless.
I must be honest, love, I'm very impressed that we haven't broached the the end of the second hour yet, and we've only got one more track to go. Mm. We're normally well into the third hour by this point. Well, I know that you need a good gap for the second, well, no, the third part. So. Well, we've got a nice interview with John Begold from Patent Seeking Animals for these guys. Exactly. Plus a track from the new album. So we've got that to fit in between now and the end of the show. Well, there so I'm very grateful then. for you being so understanding today. And I didn't even intend it. It just happened that way. Ooh, see? You're starting to be a bit generous in your old age. Although next week I might make up for oh, it. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Epic Edith. Yeah. <laughs> Two tracks. Epic Edith. Three <laughs> tracks. That's the end of the show. Come on then, what you got lined up for the last track? Right, we're going to Finland now for Nightwish. Now, this track comes off decades in Buenos Aires. I'm playing you Ghost Love Score, which originally saw the light of day on the 2004 release Once. Now, I've got the CD of this and I've also got the Blu-ray of this and it is magnificent. I would absolutely love to see this band live in the flesh. Brilliant. What a show they put on. I hope you've enjoyed my playlist. It's been a bit of a varied one, I know. Not yeah, not too raucous. No, not too raucous. Mostly so, raucous. Mostly raucous. So, enjoy the rest of the show. I hope you enjoy the interview and I'll catch you next time. Bye bye.
siren from the tea came to me saying my name, my love. Still I write my songs about the dream of mine. Worth everything I may ever be.
they are never going to be born. The potential people who could have been here in my place, but who will in fact never see the light of day, outnumber the sand grains of Sahara. Certainly those unborn ghosts include greater poets than Keats, scientists greater than Newton. We know this because the set of possible people allowed by our DNA so massively exceeds the set of actual people. In the teeth of these stupefying odds, it is you and I, in our ordinariness, that are here. We privileged few who won the lottery of birth against all odds, how dare we whine at our inevitable return to that prior state from which the vast majority have never stirred. What are the dead doing? What, those ones over there? Yes, those ones. Well, what should we do about them? Should we follow them? Follow the dead? Yes, follow the dead. Every Friday, 10pm UK time on mmhradio.co.uk. See what new tunes might be shaking loose. Tune in 6pm to 8pm GMT for Pedal to the Metal with Mark Parker, bringing you his lucky dip bag of rock to MMH. You never know what you're going to get. Only on MMH, the home of rock radio. This is the UK's progressive rock station, Crogzilla Radio. Interviews, live reviews and stunning pictures at mmhradio.co.uk. Hi everybody, Uh, this is John Bakold with Pattern Seeking Animals and you are listening to The Lost Art with Steve and Lou.
Want to join our team? We are always on the lookout for budding DJs, reviewers, media, admin, clerical and photographers. Just search MMH, the home of rock radio. This is Progzilla. Okay, folks, welcome to the final part of the show, the conclusion. We finished the middle section with Our Lady courtesy of Nightwish off decades live in Buenos Aires and that was the live version of Ghost Love Score. Hope you enjoyed that and as usual I hope you enjoyed her playlist. After the break something a little special for you guys. Off to Poland we went for Hippocamp Project. Their latest album came out on October the 8th. It's called Memory Implanted. There's only five tracks on the album. It's all instrumental And that was Flashback 3. They're called Flashback 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And that was Flashback 3, because 4 and 5 are both over 20 minutes. So I think they qualify as an epic. But what can I say? Absolutely impressed beyond belief with this album. You will not regret it. If you enjoyed that track, you will definitely enjoy the rest of the album. Oh, yes. Anyway, at the offset of the show, I mentioned I've got an interview lined up for you lot with John Bigold from Patent Seeking Animals. So to bring us close to the end, in fact, very close to the end of the show, we're going to have the interview. And then following that, we'll have another track off the brand new album from Patent Seeking Animals, Spooky Action at a Distance. Oh, yes. And I'll catch you lot on the other side. Right, well, this is Steve Gould on The Lost Art, and I've got the distinct privilege today of speaking to John Begold from Patent Seeking Animals. How are you doing, John? Very good. All's, all's well on this end of the world. Excellent, excellent. Uh, obviously, with your fourth album coming out very, yeah. very shortly, on the 27th, I believe. Um, yeah, uh, October 27th it comes out. Um it's been a while. We actually turned this album in, I think, in April or May. So happier from that that it comes out. So we've been waiting a while. Wow! But it's finally, finally, almost there. Four albums in five years. That's a hell of an achievement. Yeah, actually, the, this one comes out uh, four years and three months from the first one. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, there's that's... a little bit. Of, there's a little bit of a lag around album three, just because of the pandemic and manufacturing stuff, but. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to keep up on that breakneck pace of 20 years. <laughs> Do you want to tell us a little bit about it, John? Sure. It's an album. Um, there's a couple things different about it. I'm always trying to make it so, because the albums come out so frequently, trying to make it sound like it's something new rather than, oh, just another song, you know, a bunch of songs from the last session we just chopped up and made into another album. Um, very different approach it's, it's kind of tough to, to do that sometimes just because it's so close. And it's obviously the same people. But we went with a uh, recorded in a different studio with a different engineer this time who also mixed it. Uh, originally, we were with uh, Rich Mauser at the Mouse House, who's great. In fact, he, re- he uh, mixed some of the, or the, he mixed the live stuff on this album on the bonus disc. But um, I had been thinking about shaking things up uh, just because. You know, with bands, after a few albums in the same setting, you can, com- not complacency, but you can kind of get into a rut sometimes. And as great as Rich is, you know, it's like golden handcuffs, because you want to you want to change, but on the other hand, he's so good at what he does that you're afraid, oh, no, what if I what if I go with someone who, uh, uh, it, it doesn't work. But 
um, what happened was I went in last summer to record. Start. I wanted to, to wanted to record. Start recording the drums for this album, and I talked to Rich, and he said, "Well, geez, I'm I'm going to be in Europe. Uh, he might have been mixing Transatlantic Live. I just don't remember what he was doing, but he was in Europe, and he was going to be on vacation. So when he said, "I probably can't even get you in for a couple months," I thought, "Okay, I'm going to I'm going to go somewhere else," and he was fine with that. And uh, I went with a guy named Frank Rosado, who I've known forever. Is a great engineer, has a studio close to where I live, and we went with him. And it's a very different approach to the way he records and mixes things. So right there, there's some differences. Um, then as far as the, the music, I didn't necessarily set out to make things sound different uh, other than when I'm writing something, if, if something starts to sound too similar to something else, uh, like in the past, I get rid of it immediately because I don't. I don't want it for people to hear and think, oh, he's just, you know, trying to do another, you know, something like this last song or whatever, mm-hmm. which can be a trap. So, yeah. So other than that, you know, it's uh, um, <clears throat> the other thing I'll, I'll say is that as far as the other thing, which I think makes it sound a bit different from the early ones, is that I'm always listening to new, you know, new bands and production and checking out new sounds and new approaches. So depending on when I'm writing, I might something might fly into my head like, oh, I want to try uh, uh, English horn on this, or I want to try accordion, <laughs> whatever. Um, no rhyme to reason. I just, you know, it's whatever I happen to be into at the time. Well, that's the good thing about prog, isn't it? You can bring any old thing in. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, there's it's valid for like kind of both schools of prog. A lot of people say there's a very narrow, defined uh, 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 definition of what prog is. And they don't want you to go beyond that, which is fine because a lot of times that means stuff like I grew up with, you know, Yes and Genesis, and I love that stuff. And yeah. I can easily sit here and, you know, and churn out an album uh, with using the, you know, the same instrumentation that Genesis did in 1973. I'd be completely happy because I love all that stuff. <laughs> but on the other hand, I always think progressive music, it needs to actually progress yes. just to to try different things and, um, so if, if I'm writing something and something pops into my head, I never get that feeling of, oh, I couldn't put this, I couldn't put something like that in here. I couldn't put, you know, this Armenian, uh, dance type vibe into whatever into this because Prague doesn't do that. If it sounds good, it does. And that's the kind of Prague I tend to like is the stuff which takes some chances. Throws you a curveball. Pardon? I'll say throws you a curveball. Oh yeah. Um, I just, uh. Try not to get locked into my head to too many preconceived notions. Because uh, I believe that there's a sort of bit of a flow with this new album. It's all about conspiracy theories. Am I all right? No, there's one song on it uh, about conspiracy theories. Although you could probably take that from a few of my lyrics, I'm sure. <clears throat> I uh, There's one song on the bonus disc called uh, There Goes My Baby, which is about a woman who leaves, in spite of the kind of bland pop title it's about a uh, a guy who keeps losing girlfriends because he's a conspiracy theorist <laughs> you know i i personally don't believe there's virtually no conspiracy theory i believe in but i'm fascinated in people who believe it and i'm fascinated <laughs> you know i i don't for a minute think there's such a thing as a trilateral commission but i i'll read about it because it, it's just interesting to me you know uh you know different you know where who killed john f kennedy you know, is, is there a single bullet? Is it a uh, you know a, a gunman on the grassy knoll? I, 
I don't believe in the conspiracies, but I'm always fascinated with what people are thinking conspiracies are happening in the world. So, so you're all actually looking at people who basically conceive conspiracy theories rather than the conspiracy theory itself. <clears throat> yeah, and I'm, I just am always interested in hearing things for ideas for songs because I don't write from personal experience, so I'll listen to things or read articles or listen to podcasts or radio shows about things I would normally not be listening to and something I had no interest in will all of a sudden ignite an idea for a song in my head. Well, I never thought about, you know, writing about something like this. Maybe <laughs> I can write it from the approach of a guy who's abducted by aliens or whatever, or who's on LSD and thinks he's being abducted by aliens. Uh, I, I just like that stuff just for the variety of subject matter. <laughs> yes. So what, what music do you tend to find influences you the most, John, at the moment? <laughs> Well, you know, influence is interesting because I think most people, your main core influences are whatever were influencing you when you were a teenager, when you started doing music, right? I will always have, for my major influences, all the prog groups, all, you know, Yes and Genesis and ELP and King Crimson, all that stuff, the stuff that affects you as a teenager. And as you go along... Uh, I, I, I listen to a ton of new music. I've always kept up with new music, which I guess is, is pretty unusual for <clears throat> people my age. Um, and and even like the current pop stuff, which I, I love all the current pop stuff and R&B, I just I listen to it all the time. I listen to current prog stuff, uh, jazz, whatever's out there. Um, I just never... It's funny because I think a lot of people start out as your kid, you're listening to pop songs, you know, whatever's on the radio. Oh, there's another good song or whatever. And then when you get into Prague, the tendency is a lot of times to uh, kind of get away from that type of stuff. But I never, I, that never left me. Uh, they just, hearing some great new hummable pop song, it can be as simple and as, you know, whatever basic as possible, but if it has that good catchy melody, you know, it, it just, it's, it's just very cool to me. So I'm always listening for that kind of stuff. So influences, getting back to this stuff, a lot of my influences from listening to all the music kind of go in your, your mental toolbox when you're writing. Mm. Uh, you know, a song I would have written 20 years ago <clears throat> that didn't work, I can listen to it now because in the meantime, maybe I listen to a lot of Mexican folk music. And when I listen to that old tune, you might think, oh, you know what would be cool here is to do this key change into the bridge like they did in this one Mexican song. It just kind of goes in the, you know, in the computer in your head. Um, a lot of the stuff which influences me nowadays as far as writing this music isn't necessarily musical stuff, though. It's technical. It's uh, keyboard sounds, production ideas. Um, I know this is like an in-the-weeds nerdy thing, but if you listen to this album and maybe a little in the old one, a, a lot of the synth bass sounds I use, uh, besides the bass guitar, are very... A lot of stuff which is being used a lot of, of pop or EDM or K-pop these days, n just the way it's approached from a technical standpoint as far as the sounds and the way it moves in the song. No one in a million years would ever listen to this, you know, this new album and think, oh, it sounds like a K-pop song or it sounds like a, yeah. you know, or a, a, a BTS song or, or a Selena Gomez. No one would ever think that. But some of the elements in there are where my influences are in techniques and keyboard sounds and mixing ideas, things like that. Do you pull on things like film soundtracks as well? Does that, does that sort of have an influence on you? 
<clears throat> you know, I, I listened to it. I used to write, you know, for some low-budget movies and TV. I kind of got tired of it. But, no, I definitely still listen to some soundtrack stuff because I just listened to uh, a bunch of Hans, Hans Zimmer Hans stuff Zimmer. the other day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's great, great stuff. Um, no, I, I love soundtrack. I, I, uh, there's such great stuff in soundtrack music. And I think some people say when they listen to my stuff, they can hear some of those sensibilities, which I, I, I fully, you know, I understand totally. I understand totally where that comes from because it's such great music. Well, obviously, with keyboard technology, you know, you can all, well, you can literally sound like an orchestra. So I imagine that it's got to the point now where writing soundtracks for a movie is probably easier than it's ever been. Yeah. Well, that's one of the reasons I got out of it because the more. As as the more technology advanced, more the prices got lower and lower for equipment, and more people had their home studios. More people could get a great sound sitting at home. So the, the just the competition got you know so intense. And there's a lot of music, there's a lot of soundtracks you hear these days, where you can't tell if it's real strings or synths or samples or whatever or horns because there's so many killer samples and uh, sound libraries for this stuff in the right hands it can sound like a real orchestra and it can sound like uh uh you know real french horns or whatever but i will say um like on this album there's a couple songs i used a, a real string quartet on and i thought i had done it in my demos oh that sounds like i wasn't even sure i wanted to use it because all oh, my demos the strings sound great you know i think i did a really good job and i have a great i have great sample libraries and I thought, well, I'm just going to try the strings. And the minute you get the real players on there, oh, it's yeah. night and day. It is so. It's no matter how good you are, when you get the real players in there, it's you know, it's like a uh, existential explosion. It's like, yeah, this is this is what it has to be. This this is it. This is what it has to be. Yeah. So yeah, I get that. Do you think a problem with the uh, synthesized strings? It's a bit too clinical. It is clinical, and not even the synthesized, but even the the sound libraries where they sample, you know, all the players, all the playing and all the art, they'll have different um, articulations and different uh, uh, dynamic sounds. They'll sample thousands and thousands of parts to put these libraries together. The strings, there are so many variations and subtleties. You can't really do them all in a sample library. So for basic stuff, if like a, a, a pad or a simple part, you can get by with it. But the minute you have to start really getting more complex or with more melodic, especially in the higher registers, the, the samples and the sound libraries, for most purposes, are fine. But they don't really, yeah, they don't really uh, work as well as real strings. And you're right, clinical. I think is a probably good way to 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 uh, say it. No matter how you play it, you're not going to get the same the same emotion out of it. Because obviously, you're doing it through keyboards. It sort of lends itself very much to a live performance. Mm -hmm. Because obviously, when you consider going live, you've got to then think about bringing in other musicians. Whereas, if you can do it synthetically, you do, you, yeah. need, you can sort of then offset the fact that you need to bring in extra musicians. Uh, and on that basis, um, have you guys got any intentions for any live dates? I know you did Cruise to the Edge and Progstock yeah. last year, I believe. Yeah, and Rosfest. We did three of them. Yeah, um, I'm I'm not in the live band. I don't play in a live band um, just because I've never enjoyed playing live and I'm not that good of a player. I, I, my, my playing is uh, keyboards and guitar is more to write with. So I'm decent, 
but I'm not good. I'm not nowhere near the quality of the, you know, Dave and Ted and Jimmy. I'm nowhere near that level. Um, so we, yeah, we have a couple of guys we did play with us live. A guy named Dennis Atlas, who's a fantastic keyboard player. Um, he can sing. Young guy, um, and uh, I think he's like 22 or something like that. It's, it's oh. amazing. Like I could be his grandfather, but he's <laughs> he's. He's one of those guys who can play any Kansas or Sticks or Gen- he just instantly knows all this stuff and he's wow. a great keyboard player. So he's in the band and then we have another guy, Walter Eno, who's played a lot of groups. He's played with the Babies and I think Boston or a lot of d- different people, who plays uh, some keyboards but also guitar and mandolin and sings really well. So um, yeah, put it together is it's a lot easier for us to to go with something more like it sounds on the album. Not, we don't always necessarily try to make it sound exactly, but you know, it, where we need to, we have the, you know, we have the, uh, the brain power and the playing power in the band to be able to pull it off. Because obviously when, when you're looking at putting a studio album together, um, do you actually think at some point, oh my God, we need to do this live? Or do, no. you, or do you just do it and think, well, if we have to do it live, then we'll, you know, we'll take it when it comes type of thing. Never. That never goes into the equation because um, I'm like a creature of the studio. And to me, it's like when you're making a record, you're making something which will be most people are going to hear that music through the album, unless you're someone who's touring 300 dates a year, and <clears throat> which isn't us. So so let's say we play a few a few gigs next year and maybe a couple thousand people and they'll hear the songs once live but the record is going to be around forever and that's what people are going to keep listening to so my goal in the studio is to make a good record period i mean that's that's all that and then you figure out how to play it live later um, <laughs> that's that's has always been my approach and it um, it annoys some people i've worked with in the past but um that's just how i write i i if i were to start thinking oh wait i'm writing a i'm writing an organ part here but but I also have a synthesizer part, and you need more than one person. You can't do that live. I don't want to have to have that thing, that thought enter my head, because then you're second guessing about how you know the way it should sound the song itself. So is that why you tend to use two keyboard players live to try and re, you know get a closer feel for the studio version? Uh, yeah, um, yeah, definitely, um, because. Although, you know, there's, there's a lot of people go back and forth. There's a lot of people who will use a lot of tracks live and um, which I don't, I have no problem with, but I've always been among uh, of the mind that with bands, you do the record. And if you want to play it live, like the record, great, but I've never, as a fan, I've never been annoyed when someone does a different take on a song live, you know, if they can't pull it off, you know, live the way it was in the studio, just you know, there's five great musicians up there come up with a cool new arrangement or you don't necessarily have to have that third Mellotron part. You know, you don't have necessarily have to have that 12 string part, which is in the, in the studio version buried in the back, but with the energy on stage, you know, no one's, no one's going to be sitting in the studio thinking where's that tambourine or rather sitting in the audience of a <laughs> concert thinking, you know, where's, where'd that, you know, that tambourine part in the chorus go that was on the record. Yeah. No one's going to be thinking like that. Right. Yeah, because uh, on the Steve Hackett did um, two at Selling England by the Pound a few yeah. years ago. And when he did I Know What I Like, it was an extended version and there was quite a long instrumental section in the middle Yeah, where uh, there was some sax. 
and a lot of the diehards were saying, well, there was no sax on the original, you know, that type of thing. And yet I thought it was a brilliant version. Yeah. Well, I, I love that kind of stuff. And plus he has his brother playing in the band, right? Who's playing, you know, he gives something to do, right? Didn't he? Isn't it? Is that John Hackett? He John plays Hackett, the, yeah, uh, he's a flute player. Yeah, he plays the flute and the and soprano sax. And so maybe just said, hey, you take a solo here. Um, but uh, no, that stuff doesn't bother me at all. I, I kind of like it shaken, you know, shaken up a bit sometimes live. Um, but uh, yeah, there's something only by the pound that brings up, you know, the other thing, the technical genesis when they used to play firth and fifth you know live they had to play it on this electric piano and they couldn't do the intro live because they couldn't have a real piano with them and it didn't have the same range as a you know 88 key grand piano i remember reading about tony banks saying it was so annoying because to play it on this rmi electric piano and he couldn't play all the parts and he was so relieved when they could finally play the whole intro live with a real piano um you know when they, they could finally afford to, to bring a, a grand piano with them or they had the yamaha uh electric piano or electric cp70 piano um but yeah you know the the things that get in the way when you're playing live uh there are technical limitations and you and a lot of times as musicians you just want to kind of stretch out and try something different anyway <laughs> are you involved in any other projects at the moment john other than psi no i'm when i started uh parent seeking animals that was my you know psa is it I, I just, I'm at the age where I don't real. I enjoy doing this so much and I'm so passionate about it. Uh, you know, the older you get, you just, the, the things fall aside where you, where you may have done something earlier, but now I look at it like, why am I wasting my time doing something that isn't bringing me, you know, that much uh, enjoyment or isn't paying me a fortune? <laughs> you know, I, mean, I just I do it now if it's something I'm artistically really into or pays a lot of money. I can't turn it down. But essentially, ninety nine point nine percent of what I do is pattern seeking animals. Yeah, because you've been very very active with Spock since Neil left. Uh, well, I was, yeah, yeah. But no, the last thing I did with them was Noise Floor. Yeah, <clears throat> like five years ago, well, that, and that, that was that, that was, was their last studio album, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, it came out in 2018, 2018 that came out, yeah. Yeah. Um, what's happening on that front, John, do you know, with Spox? No, I'm I'm no longer involved at any level. And that was kind of a parting of the ways. I'm sure they, were, they weren't sad to see me go for various reasons. <laughs> you know, I think it was just time for me to, to do something different, to try, to try something else and do my own thing. So I just haven't been involved. I hear a little bit because obviously Dave and Ted are still in, in Spock's beard. And Jimmy was. And every once in a while I'll hear about, oh, they're going to do a gig, whatever. But I'm just not really tuned into what. I haven't heard anything about recording or anything like that. So is Spock's on uh, on hold at the moment? Obviously because Dave and Ted, are, you know, with PSA, Rio's playing with Project. I just, you know, I don't really know. I, I I'm not sure what the status is. I think they said they have some. They're trying to do some gigs next year, and I know they were scheduled to do a festival earlier this year. They got canceled, and then they had some UK gigs which they had to. Yeah, well, uh, they were they were used postpone. to do a tour in the UK, including HRH Prog in November, but it got right. The, yeah, but it yeah, got so, pulled about three or four months ago. Yeah, something about the HRH. I don't remember the reason, but they ended up not. 
I don't know if it was canceled. I don't know the reason, but for whatever reason, they couldn't, they weren't doing it. And without them doing that, it didn't make sense to come and do the UK days, so just financially and logistically. Yeah. So I know they canceled, and I, I think they might be rescheduling it, but I, I, you know, I couldn't tell you anything specifically. Okay. So, so obviously, with no live dates planned for PSA, right. and uh, you've got the new album coming out in a few weeks' time. Um, obviously, from now till then, it'll be promo, promo, promo. Uh, yeah. What are the long-term plans for the for the band? Well, I we're still trying to line up some live things for next year. Um, we, for some, we didn't end up on the cruise this year. There's a couple other things we're looking at. Um, nothing solid enough to you know to even mention at this point. We'd like to do at least a few more live gigs in the very near future. So hopefully that'll happen. But we tur I turned this album in uh, in April, I think uh, April. You know, six months until release date. But I do what I always do. I started writing the fifth album right away. Oh, wow. So I'm, I'm like halfway through writing the fifth album. Oh my life! <laughs> and I think, I think in November we're going to go in and start recording drums for like half of it. That's what I'm shooting for. Does it tend to be a collaborative thing, the writing? Not, no. Uh, you'll see on the new album there's ones there's a writer with me on a few of the songs, Diane Boothby. Only because I took songs that were, she didn't co-write any of these versions, but I took them from songs we originally wrote in an earlier band. And so I took them and completely rewrote them for Pattern Seek Annals. Um, she, she sang a lot of the backing vocals on the album. She's, she's great. But I didn't collaborate for this album specifically other than a couple of songs we'd written together, which I repurposed. Um, aside from that, I wrote everything. I keep trying to get Ted to write. Because Ted is a fantastic writer. Dave is a great writer, but he just stopped being interested in writing, you know, <laughs> several years ago. He, we, he and I wrote some great stuff for Spocks back in the day. But he just, you know, he just got to the point where he said, ah, screw it. I'm not, I'm just not interested anymore. <laughs> and Ted, it's funny, it's like a lot of writers. He, I, I don't write from personal experience. I write as if I'm writing a short story. It's all fictional. Because I think my life is pretty boring. I don't know why anyone <laughs> want to hear. Why would anyone want to hear about it? But a lot of people like Ted. They write from personal experiences. Yeah. And and they a lot of those people write only when things bad are happening in their lives. Yeah. There's yeah, a divorce yeah. or someone dying or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ted's just been too happy recently, so he hasn't, he hasn't written. <laughs> I I bug him. It's like on the last album. Uh, he did a couple of songs in the last album, and I loved it. That Much Ado song from. Only passing through. I always loved that song, and I finally got him to say, "Okay, you can, we can do it on the album." And I keep bugging him to write more stuff, and maybe he will for the next one. But uh, it's not for lack of me not bugging other people in the band for them to write this <laughs> one like that. So, are you happy to be the main songwriter, John? You know, uh, do you feel that if somebody came forward with a suggestion or uh, an alternative way of doing something, you'd be open to that? I'm always, I'm completely open. In fact, it happens a lot when I'm writing, when I send original, uh, the, the, the basic structure of the song is pretty much set. Although if someone, and it happens a lot, they might say, you know what, this section, maybe this can be longer, or maybe we can, I'm always listening to that type of stuff because I get, like everybody, when you're working, you get so close to it and you don't have, you can't really step back and look at things objectively a lot of times. Uh, and then with parts, when I write it, I'll give the, you know, everyone in the band 
the basis of everything. And you know, like a lot of the base parts will be written out, but a lot of the times I'll tell Dave, okay, here's 16 bars here. It's an A minor. Do something cool. <laughs> you know, I don't, I may not have written a part. Same thing with guitar. I let Ted such a great soloist. I wouldn't even try to tell him what to do. It's just, <laughs> here's where the, here's where the solo goes. Do something cool. You know, and other guitar parts too, because I'm a basic player. I always want him to come up with more interesting parts. And, and with Jimmy, obviously, I give him the groove of the song and he just goes for it and does his own thing, which is great because uh, when those guys come up with parts, it's stuff I never would have thought of and it works really well with the music. So um, to that to that extent, it's definitely collaborative. I don't I don't rule with an iron fist every <laughs> single every single word and note. That's not me. So when when you look at the original concept from concept to end product, uh, are you happy with the way it progresses and basically turns out? Yes. Um, it's almost like a, I always am, but because of the way I work, it's not like a random thing. Uh, the, the way I write, um, probably a lot of people do this, is I write something until it's something I really like. Because I figure if if I really like it, hopefully other people will. But if I start second guessing, like, oh, I can't write that for a prog audience isn't going to like this, or oh, this one's too rock, or this whatever, and you start second guessing, you know, you can kind of screw yourself over. So I just, as I write and I write for an album, I'll write one song, then think, okay, now I need something up tempo for the next one, or and I write in a very linear fashion. I write all these songs. And as it goes, if, if I start not liking something, if I start skipping through, I always figure, you know what? If I'm skipping through now and writing it, people are going to be skipping uh, through this song or this part of the song when they're listening to it, and I don't want that. So it's not unusual for me to take a song and chop two or three minutes out of the middle of it or, uh, you know, or change something. So I get it to the point where I'm happy with everything. So... Just by definition, I'm satisfied with it. Whether or not other people are, you know, for better or for worse, that's that's the way I work. So, um, uh, and I understand if people don't like it, and I'm happy if people do like it. Because obviously, four albums in, like we said earlier, in under four years. Do you have like a specific time frame to, to write to? I, I I try and make it. You know, it, it's like a. It, it, it's like that old Michelangelo, the joke, you know, they ask him, you know, how do you, how do you know when a, how do you know when a statue is done? It's like, well, when it looks like I'm trying to make it look. Mm -hmm. um, and I just know the pace I write with and whether I were to say, I want to write an album in six months or a year and a half, I, it's going to be the same pace. And I know within probably six or eight months, I'm going to have an hour worth of material just because I know the speed I write. You know, some songs take slower, and some are slower, some are faster, and some take forever, and some take a minute. But overall, I usually can come up with an album at my natural pace in eh, six or eight months. From start, so, from start to finish. Well, yeah, I mean, there, are, there can be some lags along the way at the end when it's like, oh, I want to get in and record this. Oh, sorry, the studio's booked someone else for the next three weeks, or... Oh, sorry, we can't, you know, Ted's touring with Transatlantic. We can't have him say, yeah. there's always those other life things that get in the way. But on the writing end of it, without those things popping in, yeah, six to eight months, I'm usually good at coming up with something. Then, depending how much longer it takes to actually record it or finish everything, that can be another issue. But 
that's all stuff you can't really uh, plan for. No. One thing I'd like to finish on, John, I absolutely love the album cover. I do too. I would the... say, in actual fact, I would say it's probably the best album cover you've done so far. Oh, I agree. And the album is called Spooky Action at a Distance, That's which correct. is a, yeah, which is a um, Albert Einstein quote talking about quantum entanglement because I always, quantum physics and quantum entanglement, I'm always interested partially because I don't understand it. And I, I always feel like I, I get like 90% and then my brain just doesn't function trying to grasp what all that stuff's about. But I'm interested in reading about it. And I was watching this video uh, by uh, Sabine Hassenfelder, who's a German physicist. And she puts, it's on YouTube, she has a million followers. But it's not a very easy to understand, relatively speaking, video every week on science and physics and whatever, where she explains it closer to layman's terms. And one of them was she she quoted Albert Einstein talking about uh, quantum entanglements. And from German, it was translated into spooky action at a distance. And I'm not sure what that even means, but I thought, well, that's a cool album title. So when it came time to do the album cover, uh, we went with Thomas Everhart, who, uh, you know, he's done a million great covers for everybody and, you know, Prague and metal and whatever. He's great. Uh, I've been working with him, with you know, this and Spock's and other stuff for 20 whatever years. And I, I told him, I said, here's the title. And I, I gave him a paragraph of what it means, you know, from Wikipedia or whatever. And I said, the only thing I can think of is maybe a guy standing there looking at a telescope or a magnifying glass or kind of looking up at the sky. And from that, he came up with that cover. It's amazing. And yeah. And the, a lot of times it's back and forth. He gives <laughs> you something and it's like, nah, that's not going to work. Can we do this or what? He gave that to me. And I only had a couple suggestions. It was just like minor stuff. Like, can we have a couple more birds by the telescope? You know? <laughs> and, or so, little stuff like that. But no, he just, he nailed it right off the bat. And I, I love the cover. It's, yeah. it's striking. Yeah. And the fact that it's called spooky action at a distance and it's literally comes out four days before Halloween. Exactly. I didn't realize that until later. But because with, 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 with album titles, you get to the point where it's like, oh God, now I have to think of an album title. And I try, try and avoid doing a song title, but I follow that sometimes. So I always have this list and I just get tired of looking at everything. And when I heard that phrase, I just thought, oh yeah, that's weird, cool enough to do. Let's make that the album cover or the album title. Absolutely. But didn't even think Halloween because it was so long ago. I, Halloween didn't even occur to me when I well, when I think, went. well, you said earlier you'd wrapped it by April, didn't you? Oh yeah, no, we yeah. turned it in first week last week in April, first week in May. Yeah, yeah. And then right around then is when I came up with the album title because we had to have an album title at the time. And yeah. Let's go it. with October the twenty seventh. Yeah, that was the record <laughs> company's doing, but it's it's good timing. <laughs> It's about three or four days. Yeah, it's it Halloween the next Monday or Tuesday, whatever it is. Excellent, excellent. John, yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Not I've, a problem. I've listened to the album a few times. It's absolutely superb. I wish you all oh, the great. very best with it. And uh, we look forward to hopefully, not necessarily you, but seeing the band in the UK playing live at some point. I'm trying to work it out. And even if I'm not playing, I'll, I'll definitely be, be there to there. hang out. Oh no, because I I love hanging in in the UK and Europe. That's you know just hanging out. You got all the all the all the good parts about all the annoying parts about being in a band and having to, you know, lug lugging gear and all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> yeah, I'll just be happy to you know stay at the hotel and eat at nice restaurants and you know 
hang out with people and bands and all that. So I love that stuff. So, John, cool. thank you again, my friend, for your time. Good talking to you. And Absolutely. Like I, say, I wish you all the very best with the new album when it comes thank out you. four days before Halloween. <laughs> I'm scared. I'm scared. Exactly. Cool. Okay. Take Good care. Take care. Later. All right. Bye-bye. In a dusty town, down a dead-end street There's an overgrown house with a roof that leaks Where the floorboards creaked down the quiet hall On a winter's night when you left them all All the times you cried and tried to tell them Maybe now you're gone, they might believe Maybe now you're gone, they'll never find you Oh,
And so we've reached the end of another show, folks. Wank, 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 wank. I hope you've enjoyed this week's playlist, and in particular, our interview with John Begholt from Patent Seeking Animals. We followed it up with yet another track from the forthcoming album, Spooky Action at a Distance, which is due out on October the 27th, this coming Friday. That was Underneath the Orphan Moon. Mm. So all that leaves is for me to say, have a good week. We'll catch up with you next time. And we're going to finish with Hippocamp Project with the very first track of their brand new album, Memory Implanted. This is Flashback One. And we'll catch up with you, lovely lot, next week. Same time, same channel. (laughs) 